um, that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, uh, we're able to serve one another uh, in the same way or aspire to serve one another in the same way that Christ served the church. So we got that kind of overarching biblical model of the gospel. Um, our second session that we uh, had, we uh, emphasized, we, uh, the second session emphasized, the video emphasized, the idea that marriage is best understood as a covenant versus a contract. Um, so marriage has the power of truth and love, uh, truth being expressed and love being offered. Um, it exposes us uh, as who we are and it affirms us at, that we are expected, or, uh, that we are accepted. Um, and you need both of those things. You need truth and you need uh, the affirmation of uh, gracious love. And so uh, that second session was helping us to understand marriage in the context of, of, of a covenant rather than a contract. Third session, uh, we talked about the roles and responsibilities in marriage. Uh, men and women being created equal as image bearers, but given different responsibilities and roles in the marriage relationship. And then uh, the fourth session, uh, we talked a little bit about singleness and what that looks like and what that means. And uh, we're going to come back to that in a few weeks um, uh, to kind of recap and to go over some additional things as well. Today... Um, as you probably can see up there on the on the screen, the video is about sex and the relationship of a marriage relationship. So hopefully uh, those of you that are here got my email this week uh, through the office that uh, kind of a PG-13 rating today and next week. I'm actually going to, the video is just, there's just one video. We're going to watch that today um, talking about uh, the purpose of sex and a, relation, a marriage relationship. Next week, I felt like it'd be helpful for us to come back and talk a little bit more about um, what happens when a relationship isn't healthy, um, what happens when there's sexual sin that's involved. And so we're going to come back and cover that next week. Um, so this week and next week, I'm putting the PG-13 rating on. And the only reason why, I mean, there's nothing graphic. I mean, you don't need to, you know, no one's going to turn uh, color of my tie today, um, I don't think. Um, but we have had some families that uh, have, uh, uh, brought some of the kids in and I just wanted to let them know that this is the topic for the today and next week and just let them decide if they wanted the kids to come in or not. Um, so uh, with that being said, let me just ask this question is to kind of get us started into uh, to get ready for the video. How would you say that in the United States, we'll say here in, in North America, in the United States, uh, what is the typical way that people learn about sex? Friends, okay. TV, what'd you say? Health class, okay, at school, okay. Other ways? Sometimes from their parents. <laughs> when the parents are brave enough <laughs> and courageous enough, right? Yeah, so all these are obvious ways that, that, that people learn and find out about uh, the sexual relationship. Um, but what I want you to reflect on is how often it's coming from the outside, not necessarily from a biblical world and life view, uh, even for Christian families, um, even for families whose parents really take it serious, that, like I need to tell my kids about this. The kids are still going to be learning and, and uh, grabbing things from 
the TV, from health classes, from friends, from just the culture around them, even people that aren't their friends, but people that are doing and saying things that are influencing them. So that's be thinking about that and how prevalent that is just in the way we live today, how that is, uh, we are so influenced, not just with this topic, but just in general, we're so influenced by everything that's around us. And so we need to be thoughtful about that and reflective about that. So let's have that in mind as we'll watch this video and then we'll come back as we've been doing and we'll uh, get some, do a little bit of questions and discussions. Notice this is the shortest of the videos. So during this discussion, we want to talk about sex, uh, about its purpose and its place in marriage and how it can not only serve to strengthen our marriages, but also sometimes cause significant tensions in our marriages. Probably hard to argue with the fact that our culture is sex obsessed in many ways. Lots of people have pointed that out. What impact does that have, that sexual obsession of our culture? What impact does that have potentially on our marriages that it might be destructive or harmful? It can warp your expectations sure. for, for sex, you know? It can be like, you know, being bombarded with all of these, you know, uh, photoshopped images of people, you know, uh, you know, it's like, well, nobody looks like that. In fact, she doesn't even really look like that, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but it, but you're surrounded by it. That's your, that's like our ecosystem and, and such like, so it can change your expectations for, you know, like you say, like we're being anxious about like, how are we supposed to be and perform? Media and marketing certainly knows how to press our buttons. And then, uh, they, go further and further down the rabbit hole of like trying to elicit chemical hormonal reactions that are effective. We're human beings and we're chemical hormonal people. And it's one thing if that's something that you see occasionally, but to have it so pervasive everywhere, especially in a billboard based society like New York, you can't walk down the street without having a television in your face. It, it can start to reframe your own I think emotional and chemical responses to more mild stimulus and I think it makes that it, can be harmful. And it. there's a desensitization that happens that I think puts a very bizarre kind of stress on just what can be a very meaningful interaction between people to be a very topical interaction between people and you know what should I be wearing is this sexy enough how should I be grooming myself and it turns what is very personal and intimate into a kind of a public currency. And it brings up this question of like before before I even look at you, before we even consider our relationship with each other, this question of am I enough that actually has nothing to do with us? Am I enough in a way that actually has nothing to do with the two of us as individuals who mm -hmm. love each other? Yeah, I read a magazine once where it said that most guys were looking for the omni-available woman <laughs> who really doesn't exist. In other words, we have these unrealistic expectations uh, and, you know, they, they're bound to, in many ways, distort our marriage relationships and what goes on in them. Let me ask this question, though. How important is sex in our married lives? Um, how important is to the health of your marriage? What's its place in your, your marriage? I think it's a... It's a one of its great contributions would be to the marriage would be comedy relief. 
I think it's an overlooked purpose of sex. Yes. Many, many times my wife and I have said, boy, wouldn't people be absolutely regaled with hilarity if they had any idea of what we do? Right. So there we go. Right, yeah. Because we're movies, laughing at ourselves. That's right. In the movies, no one's underwear gets stuck on their leg. Right, <laughs> it all magically disappears. Right, you know. But I think uh, that's a shame. That's a to me, that's a shame. Like some of my favorite moments when we're having sex are when we laugh together, and when it's not so serious all the time. Most couples, at least in the counseling that I do um, with with married couples. From time to time, people are expressing, or one of the issues of conflict is the dissatisfaction with their sex life. It's at a place where it's hard for them. It might have been easy for a season, but then it no longer is. Uh, assuming this is true, at least to some degree for all of us, what have you all learned about the conflicts that you have over your sex life? We tried to get pregnant for almost two years before we conceived our son. And I certainly think, you know, sex has a lot of functions in a marriage, but we really wanted a family. It was really important to us. We were trying really hard. And I think that made, it was a, such a different experience of being together in that way that I think it's worth mentioning because I think it's yes, it not as unusual as we believed at that time yeah. anyways. And I think it cuts both ways. Like I was a product of public school sex education, <laughs> which was basically to tell us all that if like you kissed a girl while you were wearing shorts, she was probably going to get pregnant. <laughs> and, and that meant that when I, that meant when we actually tried to have kids, and we realized like, wow, this is a lot more complicated process than we were anticipating. And like trying to have sex on a schedule or by a clock seems sometimes utterly unromantic, but when we were able to when we were able to put it in perspective of what we were doing as a family the schedule wasn't less burdensome well um we have sort of an unusual story with that we um we waited until we were married to have sex and uh discovered that i had a pain condition that made sex incredibly painful for me and so for years we struggled with that and um you know I felt for a long time, I felt this incredible tension between the idea that sex was this promise of unity and like what it's going to be like with God and all of these beautiful things that I've You've heard of, yeah. Right, that I wasn't experiencing at all. Mm. Um, and we still, honestly, like we still carry baggage from that. We are working through that. But what God has taught us through that is how. Now that we're experiencing healing, how precious it is, and uh, even though there was this season of grief and disappointment, that he saw us through it. Like, he saw us through it. He stuck through it with us. Um, and it was not the end of our marriage. And now there's um, quite a bit of sweetness on the other side. More sweetness for the brokenness than there would have been otherwise. Not the storyline we would have chosen. The, the fact that we were going through this uh, together, and this was, and, and for each of us, it was the only other person that we've ever, we'd ever had sex with, we've ever dealt you know, with sexual issues with, it made it that much safer and more like, comfortable to be dealing with something so hard. 
because I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't think that, you know, like she knew that I didn't have any other expectations from past relationships, for instance, um, that I was bringing to bear um, in this challenging time. Actually, you may not want to hear this, but uh, 40 years as in, in marriage, physically you change. Um, there can be all kinds of things. Like there are changes after multiple children. There are... Um, um, there can be surgeries, there can be, yeah, I had thyroid cancer, my wife's had um, an, quite a number of surgeries for, um, for a number of different reasons. And every time the, the, the body's actually changed, I mean sometimes literally changed, and so the whole, the whole physical experience was completely different. And, and so I, and you relearn, you find new ways of giving pleasure, new ways of being intimate, new ways of of just expressing your love and you know whether or not the the new way was quite as physically charged as the old way you don't even doesn't matter and uh, so I I have to say I'm a little um, I can be a little cynical with people who say I don't know if I'm going to get married until we know that we, we have the sexual chemistry and I say well you're going to have to rework that sexual chemistry about five times <laughs> yeah at least in your marriage if you're going to stay together because you change yeah I was going to ask you you know, how do you keep, you know, in light of 40 years, and not people ask me after 30 years, how do, you, how do you keep having sex with the same person and finding it still a life-giving and enjoyable act? And I think... You relearn it. Yeah. But by the way, you know, sometimes a doctor will say to you, you can't have sex until, you know, it'll be several months because of, because of the surgery. You can't do it. And so you still, and I know what they mean. What they mean is intercourse. They mean penetration. And I'll say, well, we're going to have sex. We'll figure it out. We'll find some way of being sexually intimate. I mean, we, we, you roll with the punches and yes. you find a way of doing it and you do. You know, Tim, in, your, uh, in the book, you talk about sex a bit outside of marriage. You say the Bible does not counsel sexual abstinence before marriage because it has such a low view of sex, but because it has such a lofty one. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Defend that, right? Defend that. <laughs> well, if you, if you say... Um, You've actually already, um, uh, you've actually earlier you hinted at this. It, if sex is I want to um, get something from you, then you know I want the experience of a person with your incredible complexion uh, having sex with me. Then yeah, fine. That's all sex is. If sex is self-giving, if it's if it is a kind of sacrament in which. Uh, you are you are embodying literally embodying what you're trying to do with your whole life i consider that a higher view of sex i think anybody would if you say sex is a way of saying to someone i make myself vulnerable here physically but it's just a sign of making myself vulnerable in every other way i'm willing to bind myself to you uh, i'm willing to uh, live with you commit myself to you uh, merge our property um, be your spouse that's self-giving if somebody says, I want to have sex with you, but I don't want to get married to you, what you really mean is, I don't want to really give myself to you. I want to stay independent. So if sex is, I'm giving myself to you, it's a, and it's a sign of self-giving, then it needs to go along with uh, marriage. Otherwise, it's a lie. If you say, no, I don't want to have that high view of sex. I just want to say sex is a way of really just having fun together. Fine. But I think most people would say that's a lower view of sex. And then that, that with that definition, yes, you can have sex outside of marriage with the definition I laid out there, which I think is the Christian one, no, you can't have it outside of marriage. Yeah, I, and I'd like, like to 
say it a couple of times that, hey, you actually know how powerful sex is because when you engage in that relationship with someone that you're not married to, you feel this strong connection yes. unless you've broken it yeah. and gotten to the place where it no longer does that for you. Then you're actually even in greater danger. Haven't you ever noticed that when you're, really, when you're having sex, you want to make promises? You want to say nuts, crazy things? You want to say... Longer than there have been skies, you know, stars up in the heavens. Yeah, what is that one? Yeah, yeah. You you want to say these crazy things like I want to be with you forever. So it it's almost natural as you're having sex to make promises. And uh, usually when the sex is over, then you are glad you didn't. That's what a lot of these people tell me. They say, "Gosh, that's the way it is." But I would say, see, I think you're probably wired because I I'm a Christian minister. I believe you're maiden. God's image. I think he created sex in order to give yourself to somebody else. And you're sensing that even though you don't have the, the doctrinal or worldview uh, understanding of that, but you're sensing it at a certain level. You know, without divulging too much, I had experiences outside of marriage and I learned a lot about myself through those experiences and a lot of what I learned was useful and helpful and pointed me towards Sam and a lot of what I learned I realized through meeting Sam and being married and having sex in a marriage relationship you know I learned exactly how that didn't serve me and yeah, me too. good riddance me too I mean, neither <laughs> of us neither of us waited until we were married to have sex uh, and and I think in those experiences before marriage and in the experiences I had before this relationship I learned a lot of really wonderful things it was a process for me of tremendous self-discovery and self-growth and I would say I look back on it largely very positively but there were certainly experiences if you know to take my analogy of, of you know sex like a tool that you can use in many different ways there are certainly some ways where I was like wow I don't want to handle it that way ever again. Yeah. I can hurt myself if I, you know, if I treat myself and my sexuality in that way. I can hurt other people uh, if, it, you know, in different situations, in different contexts. I will say in reading Tim's book, reading the part about the way that sex does inspire marriage-like feelings rang very true to me in a way that I hadn't considered it before. Like no one had verbalized it to me in that way before, and when I read it, I had I felt like, wow, yeah, that's what happened, mm -hmm. and that led to a lot of heartbreak for me, and I'm just glad that I was able to reconcile some of that heartbreak and some of those feelings and some of that like have a place to put that energy in a way in Sam in a way that feels constructive and healthy and building towards our relationship and our future, and I feel like now I have a very different understanding of my past than through you know our relationship than I did before I met you and really learned about marriage Me too. by being married. Some, I think many of my sexual experiences before marriage helped those relationships develop in ways that were very healthy but I can also say that there were certainly times in which my sexual experiences before marriage pushed those relationships toward a development that the relationship itself was not ready to sustain, that my heart couldn't sustain, that my spirit couldn't sustain, that the circumstances of our lives couldn't sustain. Uh, uh, and, you know, I guess what the, it's like every tool becomes a weapon if you hold it the wrong way. And that I've certainly seen that be the case for me as well. Joe, Kristen, you guys said you did wait. Um, yeah. What was the impact of that on your relationship to do that, to wait? Well, I mean, it 
it automatically sets up really interesting conversations with your friends. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, you're doing, you're doing what? <laughs> really? There's this kind of wonderful thing about the fact that we're the only people that we've each been with. Um, so all of the, all of the fun and all of the silliness and all of the, everything that comes with that, it's like, we're, we're, it's just us. It's something that's special just for us that we're doing together. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a gift that we get to enjoy. So, you know, our society teaches us by and large that sex is something that is superficial, treats it pretty lightly. But I think our discussion shows that sex is actually complex, profound, rich, beautiful, powerful. Thanks for your interaction about that. One of the ironies, I think, of discussions of sexuality is that Christianity is said to have a low view of sex. But when I look out there in the culture, on the one hand, I see people who see sex as just an appetite, like lots of times you see in movies, people saying, hey, how long has it been since you've had sex? You need to go out because it's seen as a, as a way of just fulfillment and joy and happiness, release. release. So it's seen as just a biological thing, actually. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you've got people who we would call prudes, so we would call them Victorians, people who think of sex as kind of dirty. Oddly enough, they also see sex as essentially a biological appetite, a sort of a necessary evil in order to procreate the race. So it's Christianity that says, no, sex has always got to be connected to self-giving love. And the, the way that that connection is actually most best understood in Christianity is through the term covenant renewal. We talked earlier mm -hmm. about yeah. the covenant that God makes with us. I will be your God and he'll be, he will we will be his people mm -hmm. and that, that we mimic that in our covenant relationship in marriage well in our relationship to God there are times when we renew our covenant to him we recommit ourselves we have a worship experience of great power in marriage sex is the way that that covenant renewal yes. takes place that that bonding yeah. that yeah. that gluing that deep feeling deep like deep we're deep made deep. for each other even I mean you can read science now where they say all oh, the oxytocin hormone is released and right. yada yada yada, yada. That God, we've actually been hardwired by God for sex to make us feel committed to one another and so having sex yeah. is a covenant renewal within marriage yeah and then even related to that an even more lofty aspect of the Christian understanding of sex is that we understand sex as pointing to our eventual union with God in which we have given ourselves and therefore we belong completely to God and God has given himself to us that's the reason why we do say that Sex should only be for marriage because sex is not a way of being self-fulfilled or self-realization. It's a way of giving yourself completely to another person. It's a way of saying, I belong completely and exclusively to you. And you can only say that inside the covenant of marriage. Uh, Sam and Tara uh, were very honest about their, um, their background and they were moving in the direction of a sexual ethic. I thought of the Christian sexual ethic. Uh, and yet uh, we, we know as Christians that because sex is not just a way of building up your identity, but a way of giving yourself to someone else, it's only ever for inside the covenant of marriage. We have uh, really enjoyed these last five sessions, and the next one will be our last one. And we want to return to something that's uh, really sort of the heart of the whole matter. We're going to discuss...
the fact that there is a mission to marriage. Most people don't necessarily give any attention to what their marriage is about. Right. You know, we're married, but what's your marriage really about? What's the mission of your marriage? And the most fundamental plank in your mission, the mission of your marriage, is to help the other person become the glorious person that God intended them to be. So that's what we'll be discussing in our final session the next time, and we hope to see you there. Stephanie and I were watching that video um, last week. We got done. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> veggie tales. Um, this is good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of good things here. We're not going to be able to cover everything today, which is one reason why we're going to come back next week and talk a little bit more. Um, but for today, what I want us to focus in on is this whole idea of covenant renewal and what that means in the context of a, relation, a marriage relationship. So to get there, um, what, are, what do you think are, um, what's the Christian perspective on the purpose of sex in a marriage relationship? Okay, procreation is definitely part of it, right? That's one way that God has set up for us to uh, fulfill a mandate that he's given to his people of, of uh, being fruitful and filling the earth. So yeah, that's definitely part of it. What else? Christian perspective on the purpose of sexual relationship in a marriage. Jerome? Okay. Okay, so some kind of binding together of the husband and wife on and more than just a physical level, but something there that's that's happening and becoming one flesh. Okay, good. Good other thoughts? Christian perspective on purpose, Ron? Enjoyment. Good, good. That's definitely a Christian perspective on it, right? I mean Song of Solomon, that's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Um should I do a sermon series on Song of Solomon? <laughs> I'll tell you what. If uh, if you're if you and I are still here about 25 years from now, then then uh, I'll I'll think about that one. <laughs> Maybe at that point I'll be at a point where I would be even ready to think about doing something like. That. <laughs> yeah, Roman. It's in Romans too. That's right. It's in Ruth. So, um, but yeah, enjoyment, delight, um, just the the. Um, the joy that that brings us individually, but also then as a couple. Are you saying the same thing or something else? Just go back to Genesis and say what Ron said, which was, oh boy. <laughs> basically a rough translation of what uh, Adam said when he saw Eve. <laughs> Chuck's rough translation of when he saw Eve, oh boy. <laughs> okay. All right. What did she say when she saw Adam? Oh, girl. 
<laughs> she was speechless. <laughs> I think we're going to leave that one right there. Not captured. What's that? Not captured. <laughs> Not captured. That's right. Um, yeah. So I think all of these things are given to us in the scriptures of, of. Uh, uh, Particularly the Christian, uh, Keller was calling it the Christian sexual ethic, the Christian perspective on um, purpose of, of sex. Now, they, they brought up this idea of covenant renewal, um, and I want to talk about that a little bit um, as we finish up. Um, well, first of all, before we get to that, I mean, it's tied in with this, but um, one of the things that they, they touched on a little bit, um, I don't, they didn't actually, qu- he didn't quote uh, 1 Corinthians 7, but Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 7 about specifically that um, in, in a marriage covenant between a man and a wife um, th- there's a there's a self-giving aspect to it and Paul gets into that very specifically about the husband being for the wife and the wife being for the husband and so I think that's another part of the whole kind of Christian sexual ethic is that it's it's focused on giving as opposed to just self-fulfillment and getting and that really fuels into this idea of of covenant renewal now what he meant by that he didn't go into a lot of detail but um, by that phrase, I mean, again, we're talking about marriage as a covenant between a man and a woman. We talked about that early on in, in the series. Um, and if you think about the God's covenant relationship with his people, um, talking about that in Ruth as well, um, it, it is, uh, scriptures tell us that God's covenant relationship, his relationship between himself and his people, I will be your God, you will be my people, it then forms a model for us for the covenant commitment that we have in a marriage relationship. So in our relationship with the Lord, in our, in our covenant relationship with the Lord, he gives us certain things that we can uh, use to kind of renew our commitment to him, to renew our, our commitment to our relationship to our Heavenly Father. So you think about what some of those things are, just that God gives us regular ordinary, mundane, uh, we call them means of grace, just the way that, that God gives us to kind of reconnect and remind ourselves and, and recommit ourselves to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So um, what we're doing right now as we gather together at this precise moment, but while you're here this morning, um, to gather together for worship. Uh, that's a way where we're, in a sense, we're recommitting ourselves to the Lord. We're acknowledging who He is. We're acknowledging who we are. We're acknowledging the responsibility we have to Him as our Creator, as our, as our God. Um, as we hear His Word, we're hearing about how He wants us to live, how the, the, the stipulations of the covenant, as it were, and how we're supposed to be interacting with Him. Uh, we hear about uh, the, the graciousness of the work of the Lord. Um, and then as we come to the Lord's Supper, again, it's another opportunity for us to kind of recommit ourselves to the Lord. It's a renewal aspect, right? So what Keller was getting at there, what uh, both Tim and, and Kathy were getting at there, is that there's an analogy there for our marriage relationships. And so in a marriage relationship, sex becomes kind of this covenant renewal in the relationships as the spouses come together and they are renewing their commitment to one another. They are renewing their connection to one another. They're renewing the sense that this, this is not about me. It's about serving you. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. And so every time that a husband and wife are joining together, they are coming together in a sense kind of renewing that covenant relationship that they established on the day when they stood before the Lord and witnesses and made those commitments. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way or not, but I hope that if you will start thinking about that, two things will happen. Number one, you will see 
why Christians say sex is properly in a marriage relationship, in a covenant relationship. That's the reason why it it flows out of that relationship. It, it's, it's part of that uh, covenant commitment that the couple has made, just like the relationship between the Lord and uh, his people. is. That's the commitment, and then they're renewing that commitment. Um, but the other thing that uh, hopefully that uh, you will see as you, as you think about that, not only is it um, in, in the sense of a marriage relationship, but it's also um, extremely important. <laughs> Um, and it, it, it highlights the joy part of it. It, it highlights uh, the, 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 the aspect that what's, you know, what we're doing in, in the midst of a sexual relationship is, is something that's really important. It is, really, uh, it, it is underscoring this relationship that God has given to us. So it heightens the importance of the sexual relationship between a man and a woman in the context of, their, um, of, this, context of this covenant of marriage. Um, so, thoughts. Thoughts on that before, um, see what time it is here. Get us out of here on time. Uh, thoughts on that. Kirsten? Um, do you think it's possible to have a good relationship with your spouse and never have sex with them? That's a great question, Kirsten. Can you have uh, a good relationship with your spouse uh, if you never have sex with them? And I think... Um, well, first of all, I meant to say this when we started. Just a reminder, if, if you haven't been watching this ser- series before, those are two couples that we've seen in a couple of the other videos. The couple that was on the left, uh, Tara and Sam, I think, um, they've been very open and honest about the fact that they're not Christians. They're not coming from a Christian perspective. They're, they don't believe uh, uh, that they would say they're not Christians. And the couple on the right, I don't remember their names, uh, are specifically coming from a Christian perspective. But the couple on the right did, you know, they brought up the point that in their marriage relationship, they had a lot of problems right at the beginning when the sexual relationship. And so it doesn't mean that they're not married and it doesn't mean they can't enjoy each other. Um, it, what it does mean is that that's something that they need to work through and hopefully get help for. And that's what they were talking about doing. So I think it can be it can be a, a husband and wife can have a relationship, but I think the way that God's created us is that um, I mean that's part of the reason why we talk to our young people about um, needing to wait until you're married because that draws us into a significant and deeper relationship when that's there. So I think that's certainly something that would be uh, something you should shoot for if there's a, a problem in the relationship or problem in the marriage, physical problem, whatever it might be. They ought to be trying to get help so that they could move closer and closer to that. That's a good question. Other thoughts, ideas on the whole concept of covenant renewal or something else that you saw in the video? Okay. So, like, if there's been an argument or something like that, it can be a really sweet coming back together and refreshing the covenant. Good, good. So I don't know if you, everybody heard what she was saying, but she, she was saying that another aspect of kind of tying in with covenant renewal is just the, um, well, you didn't use the word, but recommitment to one another after a fight or something like that, that it, there's, there's a recognition that, hey, look, we've worked through this and we're coming back together in this very special, intimate way and that God can use that to actually build in closeness in the relationship. That's good. I think that's, again, a part of that covenant renewal part. Good. Other thoughts? Ron? You've seen, you've watched this before. <laughs> so, I watched this one a few times before. Yeah. <laughs> okay, explain a little more about Tim Keller's comment about um, the difference between sex outside of marriage and sex uh, described in the Bible. Um, what specifically are you thinking of that he said? He didn't seem to uh, 
condone sex outside of marriage as strongly as, as yeah so i'll I'll try to speak to that so um when I watched it the first time, there's a comment that he makes early on during the group setting um it's actually uh I think it's Jeff White, the pastor quoting out of meaning a marriage book. And the way he read the quote, it actually, to me anyway, it made it sound like, uh, he was quoting Keller, a quote out of Keller's book. Um, it made it sound like Keller was saying that, um, th- that there wasn't, he would seem to be downplaying kind of the, I don't remember the exact quote, but it downplaying the um, no sex unless you're married kind of thing. As I listened to it the second time or the third time, I realized that, um, and I went back and actually looked at the quote. The quote is actually saying that, um, God doesn't prevent uh, sex uh, outside of marriage. And it sounds like he stopped at that point. It sounds like that's what he was saying. And that's not what Keller's understanding of Scripture is. He, he goes on to say that it's not because he has a low view of sex, but because there's a high view of sex. And I think what he's saying is God prevents and says you shouldn't have sex out of marriage because he has a high view of what sex and marriage is, not because he has such a low view of it. He came back, I thought, in the... Um, the questions section at the end where he and Kathy are talking, and I thought he hit it pretty hard about uh, this is the reason why uh, we don't believe that sex outside of marriage is permitted by, and he anchored it here, that God kind of gives us that. So I think, um, again, having watched it a couple times, having looked in the book, I, I'm, I'm not at all, um, I, I mean, I fully believe that that's his understanding of the scripture. Um, I, I think... It's obviously something that a lot of our context influences how we talk about things. And his context is a lot different from ours. And so how he approaches that is going to be a little bit different. But um, I, I don't have any doubt of kind of where he is on the scriptures teaching. And again, it's not, it's not what's, what's important is not what Keller believes is, or what Keller uh, says as much as what Keller is saying that the Bible says. And that, that's where our authority lands on. And it seemed like he came down, especially at the end of it, pretty, pretty clear on that. BJ? That's what I, I was thinking. He, he did make a comment that was, I think it had to do with that when he said that if you have a high view of sex, then this is this is the context for it. If you have a low view of sex, then I guess that's a, you can, he said something like you can. You, you can justify it. You can justify it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which wasn't condoning it. I think in some ways he, he's also speaking... Yeah, he's speaking with Sam and Tara sitting right there knowing that they're not coming from a biblical world and life view. And he recognizes that, I mean, he doesn't want to, um, he's very careful, some people believe to a fault, of, of not shaming, you know, the unbelievers there. Not just that situation, but other situations. But I know that's on his mind and his heart is that he wants them, as he said at the end, he wants to see them moving closer and closer to the to biblical world and life view, sexual ethic. Um, and so I think what he's saying is that, look, from their perspective, you know, they're justifying it because of this. But I, I don't, I mean, Keller's pretty clear that he's not, that's not where he is necessarily. There was another hand over here. Gar? Yeah, you read this morning from Deuteronomy. <laughs> I am a jealous God. I remember growing up, jealousy, that's not an admirable character quality. But if you think about it, it's a, it's a precious 
God is jealous of us. He wants to share us with no one else. It's a pretty high view of uh, this commitment that we have for one another. Yes. Uh, your love is so strong that uh, you will share that with no one else. Yeah, good, good. Gar's, Gar was uh, pointing out that this morning in the service, um, our kind of uh, scripture reading was from uh, the Ten Commandments and the prelude to that, God revealing the fact that he's a jealous God. In our context of jealousy, um, it's hard for that to ever be a good thing. <laughs> but but if it's a holy God who can only do right, then jealousy is jealousy for his justice, for his righteousness, for his uh, for uh, for what is perfect, and jealousy for the hearts of his people. And so, yeah, that's that definitely it it heightens that, right? It raises it. Good. Uh, let's see here. Pretty close to the end of the time. Got time for? Let me see if there's anybody else, Kirsten, before we come back. Any other thoughts here? Cynthia? Well, I was just kind of going along with what I think DJ was pointing out. But that's kind of my impression about um, like it seemed like he wasn't coming out very hard on sex outside of marriage. To me, it almost that, it sounded like he was saying it sort of like, not flippantly or sarcastically, but sort of like that's kind of how maybe people would see it. This, a secular person, yeah. Yeah. And I kind of got the impression that he was trying to tread carefully because it was it was kind of probably awkward for Sam to reveal that, and especially with Sam kind of painting it as a very positive experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you say, you know, at that point? Um, and then they did kind of end on the other couple, but, but yeah, I thought afterwards when he and Kathy were talking that they Yep, that's great. And I think um, I thought the same thing, too, when I was watching the video. And, um, you know, because this is a video. It's recorded. So if they don't like what's being said, they can stop it and redo it, right? But they didn't. And they put uh, uh, Sam and Tara's thoughts out there. Um, But, again, I think we're coming at it from the context of understanding they're not coming at it from a biblical world and life here. They're coming from a secular perspective. And so, yes, they may see some positive things on that. Um, that doesn't define it as being positive. That just means that that's their experience given their framework of how they're looking at it. It also acknowledges that um, there is common grace in this world. And God gives sex, not just to Christians. Uh, it's part of his common grace. And so someone who's not operating from a biblical world and life view um, is, is actually enjoying something um, and having some, some pleasure, some enjoyment part of it uh, without uh, it being in the proper context and being in the proper uh, the fulfillment of all of that. Yeah, 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 and I think he's, he's again, he's trying to um, acknowledge that um, you don't have to be a Christian to understand some of the benefits and good things of sex, but at the same time, differentiating between their kind of perspective on it and, you know, the biblical perspective on it. So I'm, I, I, their hands going up all over the place. So just remember, uh, uh, we're going to come back next week and talk about this some more. So this is not the only part of our conversation, um, and I am kind of at the time, so I need to finish. Um, so. Please reflect on this some more uh, over the course of the week, and we'll come back and um, talk about it a little bit more next week. And I want to tie it into what happens when um, the relationship isn't healthy between a man and a woman. What happens then? Um, and what happens when things like um, misusing 
our sex and our sexual relationship, what, what happens when that's happening in the context? Like, how do you deal with that? So those are some of the things I want to kind of tie in next week as we talk a little bit more. But we'll come back and if you have some specific questions, write it down and then uh, either send it to me this week or we'll try to cover it next week. All right. Let me pray for us and then uh, we'll transition. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace and mercy to us. We are overwhelmed that... Um, as Gar was saying, we, you would be jealous for us and jealous for your righteousness and wanting to work that into our lives and our hearts. Um, we're overwhelmed that you give us something as powerful and as fulfilling and satisfying and gracious like a sexual relationship with our spouse. Um, I pray that uh, as we continue to reflect on all of these various aspects of relationships and marriage, singleness, and all of the implications of that, that you continue to teach us from your word. Help us to know uh, what it is that we can do, how we can think, how we can act, how we can speak in a way that brings you glory. Um, and help us to continue to wrestle with these things even this week ahead. I pray you would be with us and watch over us. And I pray that you would help us to glorify and enjoy you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.